Hey guys, welcome to a different kind of chapel talk. I'm just sitting here at my desk. The campus is mostly empty. And I'm talking for about 10 minutes or so just to you about this topic. How do you give a good word during distressing times? What do you do when things aren't going like you'd hope? There have been plenty of distressing times throughout Christian history. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, there will be more. But we are right now surrounded by the news of the coronavirus, and we have to figure out how we manage ourselves. One temptation is to minimize what's going on. I'm old enough that I remember Y2K. Most you guys would not. Maybe you've heard of it. But it was at the end of the 1990s when the calendar was about to switch into the 2000s and computer programs were written so that people were seriously worried that computers would not function as the calendar year changed. Uh, power would not work. Um, utilities would not work. Nothing would work. And they worried about the world crashing. I had a friend who bought a house and a farm out in Iowa. He stocked his house with a year of water, a year of food, built a fence around it, armed himself to defend himself against people coming to raid his food stash. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah, because that's what the Bible says. If your enemy is hungry, shoot him. Just kidding. It doesn't say that. It says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. But there was a lot of overreactions about Y2K. The question is, is coronavirus a Y2K thing or is it something more serious than that? Well, it appears as you watch what's happening going around the world, it is more serious than that. So what do we do with this? Let me read you one of the passages of scripture I go to again and again and again and again in my life. I found it very helpful for me. Hopefully it will be for you too. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's just break that down a little bit. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Don't rejoice in the situation. Situations sometimes stink, but you rejoice in the Lord. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement that believes God is at work. Romans 8, 28 says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. It doesn't say all things are good. That's certainly not true. But God works in our lives in every situation. Romans 8, 29 says it's to conform us to the likeness of his son. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus in tough circumstances. Help get us there. Rejoice. Paul writes that from a prison cell. He writes that to a church in conflict. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a statement of faith that you believe God is working. Then it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Some translations put it this way. Let everyone see that you're considerate. When we're stressed, it's really easy to get uptight with each other. When we're stressed, it's easy to get anxious. When we're stressed, it's easy to have relational conflict. You're at home right now. Maybe some of you are still hanging out in the residence halls. By the time you get this, that probably won't be the case. But what does Paul tell us to do? To be gentle, to be generous, to be kind, to cut others some slack, to give them room to be human beings and to fail if they do. Why? 
because the Lord is near. Now, Paul was probably talking about his expected return of Christ at any moment. And he's saying in the light of the big picture of eternity, don't get all anxious about this moment. The Lord's near. Even if you don't interpret it that way, even if you just say, well, the Lord is nearby, that still works because he is with us. He's caring. He's invested. He's involved. And so we can choose to be gentle. We don't have to react and be hyper about stuff because God really is still our God. He says, don't be anxious about anything. About what? About anything. You know, I think back over my lifetime, and it's been a long one by now. But when I was a young, young child, parents were concerned about polio, a devastating disease. I grew up in the era of the Cold War. I remember we had uh, air raid drills, nuclear drills at our, at our school. You didn't, like we do tornado drills today, we did nuclear bomb drills back then, as ridiculous as it kind of seems now. There have been a variety of kind of flus, the Hong Kong flu and the swine flu and the bird flu. There was Y2K, there was 9-11. People worried about what happens if the Democrats get elected and people worried about what would happen if the Republicans get elected and they promised all kinds of angst about that stuff. Now there's the coronavirus. And Paul's advice to us is in the midst of all that, come to the Lord praying. He's near, he's at work, he cares. He's listening, and the challenge to us is to act on our faith and just begin to trust him a little bit. Then he went on to add one more thing. He said, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've seen from me or heard from me or learned from me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I have a friend who lives in West Africa. His name is S.D. Canoe. He was the head of the Wesleyan Church in Sierra Leone during one of their darkest times as a country. There was a rebellion going on. The rebels were arming children, hyping them up on drugs, sending them into villages with machine guns and with machetes. They were shooting people randomly. They were cutting off arms. They were cutting off legs. They were cutting off noses and ears. They were just maiming people to create terror. That was the world in which he lived. And one day he got caught in an enemy invasion. Uh, They just raced into his village. He couldn't get away. He was captured, and they knew he was the leader of a church. They stripped him naked, had a meal in the middle of the street, and held a gun to his head and challenged him to give up his faith, to recant, to deny Christ. He thought he was dead because he wouldn't do that. And the words of an old song just came to him, and he started singing, Jesus, keep me near the cross there, precious fountain. Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, Be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river, till I get to see Christ in heaven. And he said he knelt there singing the song over and over again while the rebels held the gun to his head. He knew he was going to be gone any moment. He realized all he had was Jesus. But in that moment, he realized Jesus was enough. Well, as it turned out, for some reason, miraculously, they let him go. But it was a lesson he learned 
and he's carried with him the rest of his life, that Jesus is enough in the midst of any crisis. Now, I don't know how you're managing this coronavirus kind of stuff. I don't know what kind of stress you're facing, but I do know that Jesus is still with us. He still has a good word for us and good hope for us. Why don't I share one last thing? It was actually written in the 1940s by C.S. Lewis. You know him as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, it was in the midst of the early days of the atomic age, just three years before there had been uh, atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, just devastated those cities. Millions were killed. And now where they were in the Cold War, they didn't know what was going to happen. There was a lot of anxiety. I want to read the first three paragraphs. And any time I use atomic bomb or bomb, you substitute coronavirus and see if it begins to make a little sense to you. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb, the coronavirus. How are we to live in a corona age? I'm tempted to reply, I live as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railroad accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one great advantage over our ancestors. We have medical care, but we have that now, yet it's still perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful death to our world. The world already bristled with such chances. And in reality, death is not a chance at all. It is a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, a virus, let that bomb, when it comes to us, find us working, praying, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, chatting with our friends, he said over a pint, we might say by FaceTime. Not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need, need not dominate our minds. Again, the words of Paul, celebrate God daily, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them, not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute, so don't fret. Don't worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle down on you. It's wonderful what happens when Christ places worry at the center of your life. And that is God's good word for us today. Hopefully, you'll find it meaningful as well. Come back Wednesday. There'll be another chapel posting.